and welcome back to Reptile and Chill. Do you actually like play the theme music just to yourself? Yeah, yeah. To hype yourself up. Yeah, mate. You have to like. You have to get into like the swing of it. You know what I mean? I used to like it when we could hear that ourselves. Yeah, but I, 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 you got too excited, mate. So I had to get rid of it for you. I know. I did. I used to like get all excited hearing the music and then just not stop talking. Well, it's the fact that when we start the podcast, and all you'd hear is. <laughs> Mike, Mike, we're recording. Mm-hmm. Right. How are you this week? I'm better this week. Um, Be better. Yeah, it's been a bit easier. Um, I've had a bit of a busy day. I've moved my brother into his new house. Yeah. Um, so that's gone down really well. Um, they seem quite settled, so that's good. Um, yeah, it's been a bit. The last few weeks, it's just been a bit crazy to be honest with work and other things. Um, but you know, it's been yeah. a, it's been a good week this week so far. I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a strange week this week, if I'm honest with you. Um, there's some good positives that's going on um, that I'd like to talk about. Uh, the first one being um, my granddad's now got uh, an Instagram account. I had to go around his house and set it up for him because he struggles with the technology a little bit. So I've, I've set that up for him. Um, so if anybody wants to follow him, he's struggling for followers at the moment. Um, yeah, he's only got 4.5 million. <laughs> He'd got something like one and a half million in ten minutes, um, which is, you know, absolutely credit to the bloke. He is a, you know, is is a god in in our house, as you as you well know. Yeah, so um, obviously, it's not Mike's granddad. And I've actually, well, well, I've, well, actually well, well, I've actually got the text message through the day of you admitting that he's not your granddad. Um, but David Attenborough, you're not allowed to admit that and say that on air, mate. That's, I can, I, that's private. I don't care. <laughs> Um, so I think his message that he's trying to put across, he's, you know, obviously he's this big icon that everyone really respects, and he's not been on Instagram, he's not been on certain no. platforms, yeah. and he's making it his damn, he's making it his damn business to make sure people are hearing him that about is, his climate change. That is David Attenborough, though. That is so. Yeah, David Attenborough, you know, he's I think ninety four now, right? But he's still he's really into technology. So when he um, when he does any of his series, he's, he wants the the latest gear and he's really interested in it. We've spoke to a number of people who have worked with him, um, and and we might be able to do that again tonight as well. Um, but he's really into his technology, so he is sort of like well ahead of sort of like his ages when it comes to uh, you know. You know, now he's on social media. He loves technology, which is absolutely fantastic. And you know what I heard as well? Is that the the Kardashians are getting proper nervous, man, because he's taking their followers. (laughs) Can you imagine this, though? I was thinking the other day when I followed him. Can you imagine just getting a little ping and you look down, David Attenborough follows you back? Paul, you'd have a heart attack. I would, yeah. I would. Like, he told me that he was going to do it, but... He thought it's going to make a few people jealous, and uh, she's not going to bother. Um, whilst we're talking, sorry, Hoss, yeah, yeah. and just whilst we are talking about the legend, it's worth saying that um, he's got his new film out, isn't he, on Netflix, which comes out this Sunday. So by the time you're listening to this, it would have been last night, um, Life on Our Planet, and he's focusing. And he really wants to make make people understand, you know, how the environment is changing, how we are being, you know, treating the planet, habitat loss. He really wants to go into that and 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 offer us a vision for the future. So 
I would highly, highly recommend tuning into yeah. a life in our planet. So uh, I was on Sunday. kind of prepping a little bit for that and kind of like looking around other documentaries and stuff based around the topic. Mm-hmm. And la- last night I listened to something called Kiss the Soil. It's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. And it's basically, you know how we say carbon's bad? We have this massive carbon footprint. Yes. And their perspective of, well, carbon isn't bad. Carbon isn't bad at all. Well, it's it, natural carbon, yeah, isn't 100%. it? <laughs> it's, yeah, 100%. But when, when it doesn't have anywhere to go, it's not good. Yeah. But because of we've destroyed, you know, so you've got all these agricultural land, which is just barren half the year when it's not being cropped. The amount of... Um, plantation that would have been there all this microfauna that would absorb the carbon and turn it into you know food for animals or for a habitat or wherever that's not happening now so what they're saying is that you can have all these cattle ranches but if you used to let them roam a big a big big area and was to allow them into certain areas and then not allow them back into that area for another nine ten months that you can actually successfully do it without raising carbon levels at all is that what the government are trying to do with us <laughs> lock, at the moment? Lock it, them down it, for six months and then let them out, then lock them down again. It might be. It might mm. be. Um, so be, before we get on with the podcast and get on to the guest, um, yeah. obviously if you are listening to this, you've noticed that it's only me and Mike. Um, so it's slightly more serious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so over the last few weeks, um, Danny's... I wouldn't say he's fell out of love with the podcast, but he's had a lot go- going on in his, his personal life and things are... Um, he needs to spend more time and more attention to other things. Um, so he was, he was talking about, you know, what can we do to help? Where can we help find him time? You know, can we move things around? And we decided one thing is that we're all mates. Um, yeah. That we're all really good friends and we want what's best for each other. Um, so I sacked him. No, I, I didn't sack him. I didn't, didn't sack him. Basically, uh, Dan, but the truth of the matter is, Danny said, I can't do this podcast anymore, otherwise I'm going to murder Hoss. <laughs> <laughs> Hoss is a dead man, and uh, he, he said, I, I like him too much, and I don't want that on my conscience. But, yeah, Danny's Danny stepped away from the podcast um, at this moment in time. Whether he will, you know, want to come back in a few weeks' time, um, we we don't know. But but you know, I'm certainly gonna really miss Danny, uh, especially on the podcast because he he does bring that cheekiness to the podcast that I'm sure we'll all miss. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one, and because we was, we were like, okay, he's having a bit of a stressful time. He wants to step down. We're all amicable. We're all friends. But it's what he needs at the time, and we were all like. Yeah, okay. Give him twenty four hours. Um, yeah. But it's you know it's it's for it's for it's for it's good for him and you know yeah. his family. He needs to take the time out. And yeah. I can only thank him for helping us. You know for for ninety three episodes, man. It's been an absolute blast. And I've enjoyed every second yeah. of it. I've even enjoyed the arguments as well. Um, <laughs> he's an absolute top banana, and I wish it's him all the best. That, it's mad. I didn't even I didn't even know Danny um, until the first ever episode we recorded is the first time we spoke and. Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss him a lot. He's absolutely, uh, you know, I call him my brother and uh, he's an absolute diamond, so uh, I will, we, we will miss him. Yes, yeah, so um, I, I think what we should do, out of respect for Danny, we should give a, a minute silence right now. No, it doesn't work on podcasts. It doesn't, doesn't it work? Everybody, no, everybody switches off. Can we, can, can we just call everyone a cunt? No! 
No, he'd, he'd like that. No, it doesn't sound right when you say. Oh, I tried. I tried. <laughs> Mr. Wells, I tried. I tried. Um, just obviously a couple of things else that I wanted to bring up, sort of like from a negative point of view, which I think really like why it's been quite a strange week for me. Um, obviously, we're sort of like a lot of people are heading back into lockdown or are back in lockdown. A lot of areas now are going into lockdown. Yeah, can I, can um, I just say, fuck you, Mike? Pardon? Fuck you, because you're allowed yeah, that and I'm I, not. I can, actually, I can actually wave literally across the road to Haas. I, my side of the road were allowed out. Haas isn't. Um, which, yeah, it, it is really hard. And, you know, I think we thought it was hard in the summer, but we had lovely weather. We was outside. Um, it was made easier then when you could meet up outside, but that's sort of like stopped now. And and I, and I think it's it, from a mental health point of view, it's going to be even harder this time round um, if we do go into proper lockdown because it's um, you know shorter days. You know we know the effects of a dark you know dark nights um, or being in the dark has on you from a mental health point of view. So. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the effects and the long-term effects that's going to have on people. I think I heard the other day that there's over a million kids out of school already since they've gone back because somebody's got it. They've had that part has had to go into lockdown. Um, I know in my, my my kids' school, their whole year group is one pod. So if one kid had it in that year, they're all off school. So it's going to be a really, really tricky time. Definitely. But one thing I will say, though, is that... I know we can't go around each other's houses, and I know a lot of people feel really isolated and alone and separated. Yeah. But we've got this lovely thing called the internet, and if you've got it, get in touch with people, drop people messages, hit people up, you know, tell yeah. pe- tell people you are. We can still support each other without s- seeing each other face-to-face. So if you, one of your friends you've noticed hasn't checked in for a few days, then drop them a call, see if they're okay. Or if you're feeling like... If you're feeling like how I look, right... Just just get in touch and just reach out to people because we're yeah. all in it together, man. Absolutely. And finally, well, actually, I would like you to invite the guest on, Haas, and then I want to bring up this final bit of news because I had some horrible... I had a, took a horrible phone call yesterday. I'm not happy about this for two reasons. One... I love him loads and think he's a great person. And yeah. secondly, yet again, I'm being used for fucking entertainment <laughs> purposes. <laughs> right, okay, so but this, if you'd like to invite uh, the guest, um, and then we can do it. Sorry, mate. Fucking monkey say, monkey do. Right, okay, so this week on Reptile and Chill, we've got the lovely Matthew Webb on, who's currently a member of staff at Whipsnade Zoo. Um, he's got a load of experience keeping reptiles himself and amongst other zoo settings. Uh, so hopefully we get to learn quite a bit about him tonight. So Matt, welcome to the show. Hello guys, how you doing? Is he, Matt, you're not just a member of the zoo. He is the operational manager, mate. I didn't want to give him a big head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when somebody's worked hard to get to that position, no, 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 you no, give right, credit, right. mate. Go on Facebook, go on to his profile pic. That is a conk, mate. Look at it, it's massive. <laughs> Look at the size of that head. No, I'm, I'm, only, I'm, only, I'm only putting your leg, mate. <laughs> right, so whilst we've got... 
uh, Matt on. Uh, the reason I invited Matt on is because I'd like to get his reaction as well. So yesterday, and uh, this is what everybody dreads, I took one of those horrendous calls. Um, it was my brother. Uh, I'd literally just come off the phone from him, and I actually thought he'd forgot to speak to me about something, and he was calling me back. Um, he was working in a hotel in Worcester. Um, he's got his own sort of like carpentry company, and he was hanging some doors in a hotel and the doors in the hotel doors are very very sort of like big they're, they're eight foot high um very wide quite heavy doors and he was installing a a, a vision panel so if you can imagine two foot wide two foot high you know the georgian wire glass which has got the you can see the wire in between the glass that holds it together that's um that's a, a fire sort of like rated glass. Yeah, yeah. So he was installing that. He pushed the vision panel in and held it in with the top bead. As he bent down to grab the other bead, he didn't realise, but the bead had slipped out and it, the glass was falling down. So it pivoted on the bottom and fell down. Yeah. Yeah. As he stood up to put the other bead in. So I'm now going to send you the... After, I, I took the phone call and he said, I don't know what to do, Mike. And I said, what's the matter? He said, I've had a horrendous accident. I said, oh, my word. I said, what, what's happening? He explained what he'd done. I can't believe you're using this as an excuse to take the piss out of your brother. Well, he... Basically, the glass hit him on the bridge of the nose and he right. took it full pelt... Oh. I've just sent you the pictures over, and basically he, he said, Mike, it's chopped my nose off. And I said, what? And he said, no, seriously. And I said, no, seriously, how, how, how bad is it? And he said, it's really bad. Um, I've just sent you the pictures, guys, but as you can see, it's hit the top, literally gone straight through his nose and then come out, so it's took a chunk out. Um, he actually picked up. I the, the the piece of his nose that had come off, he, he, he did everything right. I mean, they put bandages on him. He put that in a bag because you don't put it direct into ice. He put that into a cup of ice and then he got rushed to hospital. You know what the most fucked up thing about this is? Go on. At the two of you, you're still the ugly one. How the <laughs> fuck does that happen? <laughs> uh, but, you know what? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fucking disgusting and... It's making me crazy, but poor fucker, oh, man. Like, like, ow. Yeah, yeah. and that, smart then. Yeah, absolutely. So he was he was sent Where's home. This photo? How do I see this photo? I can't see it. Oh, I've sent it to. If you look on, sorry, Matt. If you look on the um, our group chat, can you see it? Ooh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Is that going to go back on okay? Well, if I'm honest with you, he was sent home yesterday. Um, I can't say too much, but he was, he was, he was, he was wrongly sort of like sent home. Um, we didn't agree with it. Um, luckily, my, my wife works at a private hospital. She spoke to one of the um, uh, the surgeons there who does 
um, plastic surgery and that, and they said, no, that's not right. Get him straight back to the QE. If I'm honest with you, in Birmingham, we're really lucky. The, um, the QE is probably the best hospital that you would want to, that you could go to. It's the best hospital for that type of thing in the country. It's where all the soldiers go from Afghanistan and Iraq. So they're used to dealing with lots of horrendous injuries. Um, they've got all the best specialists there. So he's gone there today and they've said, yeah, you, you shouldn't be going home. You shouldn't have gone home. Um, they told him that he was going to leave it for six months uh, and then they was going to operate on it. Um, but they've said no. Wow. They're, they're booking, they've booked him straight in half seven in the morning. I'm taking him to hospital, um, and he's got to have a he's got to have a skin graft, and 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 then they'll 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 try and yeah tidy it yeah. up. But the sooner you get that sorted, the better it is, isn't it? Yeah, Leave it too long, and See, it's, uh, no, it's going to heal. What we need to do right now, because it's a bit of a shit story with how this this, this accident occurred. We need we need to invent a better story for him. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the actual the doctor actually said, "Oh, you can tell anybody anything now that you was attacked by a bear or anything because it is it is that horrendous, isn't it?" Nah, you're not attacked him. Go on, fucking beaver, beaver, beaver. <laughs> right, he was bending down to plant a tree. Beaver got excited, <laughs> took his fucking nose off. Done. I said, "I fucking told you those beavers are bad news, mate." <laughs> do you know, I love the do, beavers. Do you know about the beavers, Matt? I've never looked after any beaver myself. Do, do you but, know about um, what they're doing with the beavers, mate? There's, there's a, <laughs> honestly, you think COVID's bad, mate? Is the pandemic going to happen? Have you, do you know about I'll it? I'll tell you what, there's, there's not many bites as bad as a rodent bite. Uh, seriously, so, I know. Look at that totally photo, agree. I can see a beaver taking someone's nose off. Right, so ba basically, right, just for anyone who has to listen to the show before, and Matt, you need to understand this, mate, because your life's in danger. So they're reintroducing the beaver into the UK, right? Yeah. And we've got this massive global pandemic at the moment, global warming, but the, the earth is heating up and David Attenborough's working his fucking socks off trying to sort it out, mate. And we need to help David. We need to fucking help your granddad, Mike. <laughs> right? So we need the trees. Beavers eat trees. They're going to breed. They're going <laughs> to eat all the trees. We're going to suffocate and die. So this is uh, Hoss's warped mind and the way it feels. The and, but... and now they're attacking fucking gingers. No, they're not. He's a little bit ginger. Neil isn't, no. Isn't that? There's only me in the family. No, there's only ah. me in, the in, in, in my generation of the family. So um, I, I thought he it died. After I thought he died it because he was embarrassed. <laughs> mm. No, Neil's the good looking one of the family. He's sort of like the catalogue kid. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I have mixed feelings about this up, this, this accident, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Poor bastard. Right, anyways, before I, I, keep, I keep looking at it and my stomach's starting I to just, go. I just, yeah, I just wanted to say, oh. wishing him a, a speedy recovery. Like I say, I'll take him to hospital tomorrow. I'm sure everything will be okay. And uh, it's absolutely amazing what these surgeons can do now. So, yeah, just wishing him all the best. Right, and so I need to stop. Look, my phone's going over there. I need to stop looking. This is what happens. Well, you know, I had a podcast a couple of weeks ago and they were showing injuries of oh, some bloke getting his toe chewed off by his dog. And I, I was I was sick whilst we recorded the podcast. <laughs> it's the thought of the dog chewing your toe oh, off, though. See, that's, I feel sorry for him, but it's the dog chewing and pulling the ligaments. And, uh, no, no, no good. Okay, so, right, enough of our rubbish then. Matthew... Hello. Hi. So tell us, um, where did you start? Obviously, 
I don't know, it's really difficult when we do these podcasts because I don't just want to ask the same questions all the time, but I think we need to get a basis of, of what your background was and how you got into um, where you are now. So was you always into animals or was it something that kind of happened later in life? No, I think um, really from a sort of early early teens, even younger, I've always, uh, always loved animals. Uh, my family wasn't really an, an sort of animal-focused family. We never had any real pets growing up, from apart from the normal sort of hamsters and stuff people would keep as really young kids. But it was actually um, a few friends of mine that lived in the village I grew up in who started keeping reptiles, keeping snakes, and um, that just got me really interested in it. And uh, I was really supported by my 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 sort of parents who were helping me build vivs and stuff in my house, and I just kind of slowly got into keeping them and I think it really probably kicked off I don't know maybe when I was sort of 13 14 and my brother who's a bit older than me had uh, um, some uh, had, a, had a, a typical wild caught raw python as they were back in the uh, yeah. sort of they, they're in the 90s and um, he got bored of it and I took it on as a bit of a wouldn't feed for him wouldn't feed for months and months and I took it on as a it was either that or my dad was going to get rid of it and uh, and I got it feeding and got it going. And since then, I've just kind of just escalated. And I, uh, I just it's, kept, you know, nice, as you Matt, do. That, you're, um, that you're, your parents were supportive. And, you know, it doesn't happen very often that, but especially families that are not really into animals or don't have pets, then to support you in having reptiles. Oh, well, yeah. It's, it's like the other day, Matt, I was feeding, my, my, I was getting food out to, to feed the snakes. And my mum was like, What's that? I thought, that's a rat. So that's not a rat. I said, no, it's a jumbo rat. Yeah, because they they're quite a big size. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck are you feeding that to? I was like, <laughs> snake. And she's just like, that snake's got to go. That snake's got to go out the house. No, 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 no. We've got Jack Russell's. The rat's the same size as the Jack Russell. No, no. <laughs> and it's just like pandemic just come out of her head. And it's just like, the snake's been up there for two years. There's a lock on my door. There's a lock on the Viv. And like, it's all cool. It's fine. Yeah. She's like, no, 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 no. It's not happening. You need to get rid of it. I was like, yeah, okay, mum, I'll look into it. You should have lied, Huss, and said, oh, no, this is to feed all of them. I've got to cut it all up into little, <laughs> little bits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I was I was lucky with that support, definitely, um, especially as the family wasn't really that into pets. I mean, my dad was scared of snakes big mm-hmm. time. And... Um, but he, you know, he was quite happy to build me the vivs when I was younger and sort of make air rooms in the house, you know, that I could just keep them in. And I can always remember when I was sort of in the teens and started going out clubbing and stuff and then, re- you know, getting having my parents actually turn up at a club because one of my, my big female boa constrictor got out. And uh, <laughs> my, there's, there's the embarrassing moment when your, your parents come to a club and then getting home with your dad. Well, do you know whose fault that was? You know, you know whose fault that was that the boa constrictor got out? Well, it was mine, obviously. No, but... it wasn't. It was your dad. He <laughs> built a shit enclosure. <laughs> I couldn't really blame him when I was uh, at that stage, but um, but no, that was uh, yeah. So I was lucky, and I think um, <laughs> that kind of got you know my dad. My, certainly, my, my dad was a, as he calls it, a wage slave for years with the MOD, um, and did never really enjoy his job, but needed to do it to support the family. Was always really supportive of, of me and my brother. Just doing what we wanted to, really, what we loved doing. So I, I got sort of, you know, I was definitely lucky in that sense. So, yeah, that's and that nice kind of escalated. Definitely. So how did that um, come on to you working in a zoo setting? Is that something that you kind of said at a young age that you wanted to work in a zoo? Or was it did it kind of just happen by chance? 
No, you know, it, it happened kind of by chance. I mean, I left left school. Was I'm not I'm not you know I'd never say I'm an academic person, but I uh, I was I was definitely a hands-on kind of person. Like to, like to get in, involved with with you know keeping animals and stuff. Left school, not sure exactly what to do, but knew I loved the the, the reptile side of things. I'd spent. Mm-hmm number of years working weekend jobs at reptile shop in uh, in bristol at the time and that was in sort of late 90s and then um and in sort of garden centers around as well um again in the sort of pet sections of those so i knew i knew i absolutely loved the, the, the reptile side of things and at that point i just thought you know what i want to own my own reptile shop do that go into that side of business because i love yeah. that side of things um so i went to college went to an agricultural college did uh Diploma in animal management there, um, and you know I, I never hide the fact that I came out of school with pretty poor grades, and so I ended up sort of doing an MVQ and then a diploma in animal management. And during that time, I had to do work experience at uh, different places, and uh, it's sort of like big blocks of five and ten weeks. And I was lucky enough, and this was you know during this was right when foot and mouth happened, so I think it was yeah. two thousand one, um, and or two thousand, can't remember now. And then, so most zoos had shut or wouldn't allow work experience. So I was quite lotty that I managed to get a work experience placement in Cotswold Wildlife Park, which is right. in Oxfordshire, um, specifically with the reptile department. I knew, uh, they knew I was into reptiles and I could do it because I was only working with the reptiles. I wasn't working with the other animals. It would be affected by foot and mouth. Yeah. So I got to spend five weeks when I was 16 at... Um, in, in the reptile department at Cotswold Wildlife Park. And at that point, um, the, the, the amount of reptiles I had there was quite phenomenal. Um, loads of stuff breeding, loads of stuff off show. Um, and from that point, I got to got really good, you know, to be good friends with the, the, the manager of the section at the time, Mark. And and he kind of offered to look, do you want to come volunteer? So I stayed, you know, it was it was about an hour and a half from where I lived. And I, you know, at the time just had a little, um, you'll laugh at this as well, a little scooter to get myself around. Yeah, um, look at this scooter, you mean? Ring, 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 ring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 30 mile an hour. That did get, that turned into a better bike because I grow old, I will say that. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, I just stuck at it really. I volunteered as much as I could. So when, I, when, when, when it was, you know, half terms and stuff at the college, I would volunteer go up and spend as much time as I could until a job came up and a job came up um, while I was studying, actually. So I was still doing my animal management course and a job came up on the rep department and I got it. So, you know, when I was 18, I was managed to land a job in the reptile department at that place. And we were, we had just fantastic collection of reptiles, um, breeding lots of different things, working with venomous stuff there, um, crocodilians, you know, you know, number of things, giant tortoises, loads of different things. And that just kind of, Rollerboard, really. So I was, um, it was a bit of that perseverance. It took about, I mean, I was, you know, I was volunteering for, for quite a long time. It was probably about, you know, coming up for a year and a half, two years volunteering before I got the job. So um, two jobs are few and far between. And when they come up, there's a lot yeah. of competition. So I yeah, would, absolutely. anyone wanting to get into the sector, you know, I'll always say volunteer if you can, because you, you know, showing you can do the job and dedication is important. Yeah. What what is nice to hear though, Matt, um, and I've heard it a few, a few times as well. You know, people leaving school um, with not particularly good grades, um, but they've still gone on, got a degree, and been able to work with animals, and that's really, really important because there's a lot of kids. And I remember when I left school, and 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 um, my parents was going through a divorce at the time, and and I sort of like, I was always in sort of like 
you know, the top set in school, but then the last year really took a dive. Um, and, I, and I looked at my old report, actually, and I was reading through it the other day, and it was sort of like, you know, I don't know what's happened to Mike. He's really sort of like not doing well. And my grades was was horrendous. Um, but it's nice because, you know, sometimes you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself down, and 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 and, and probably go at something from a different angle, but you're still getting the, the, the end goal at the end of it, which is... <laughs> You know, it's good for people to hear if yeah. they've left the school and, and they thought, oh, I haven't got the grades I wanted. I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do now. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah. So I always find school and the, the last few years in school a really bad timed thing because if you think about, like, how... I'm talking as three blokes here. So as your hormones start to change and your interests from... Um, visiting grandparents to chasing girls it's yeah. kind of like around that exam time period mm. and it's just like it happens a lot between the years and 10 years 10 and year 11 is where you know blokes grades start going down because they're not spending the time and it's it's a hormonal thing you know what i mean it's just like it's like okay i can either after school go and chase her or I can sit and I can do this homework. And I was like, mm. yeah. And, you know, obviously we do need to make sure that we are, our kids are having a proper education. And I, I didn't come out of school with awful grades, but I could have done, I could have done a lot better. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's just, it's just one of those things that we do need to put it aside and, and yeah. cra- cra- crack on in school because it's, it's important, but it isn't, it isn't the end of the world. Um, you know, and you can still be successful, and just because you haven't got good, good grades, it is it isn't the end of the world. No, absolutely, Matt. Matt, um, did you leave school sort of like end of? Depending on how old you are now, so it was the fifth year when I was at school, but uh, or is it year eleven now? Um, or did you stay on for sixth form, or did you go no. to college? Yeah, I went to college, went to agricultural college, and left in. Was it year five, year six? Was it basically 2000 I left? Um, yeah. Gives you an idea of my age then. Um, yeah. so is, I, that, is that old? <laughs> well, I was 93 I when I left, old. mate, so he's like, he's like younger than me. <laughs> he's, he's, still, he's still old on my level, yeah? <laughs> yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, I went to agriculture college and, you know, after, oh, I never fully admit never really enjoyed George school my uh, as much as my parents supported me in uh, that that reptile side they sent me to a an all, all boys school in, in Bath where I live so yeah. I never never forgiven for that um but <laughs> it uh, college was fantastic you know going from that and then going to ag- agricultural college um and uh, you know loads of like-minded people and absolutely loved it and sort of flourished in there so um I, I would say that was you know yeah, I think, like you say, some people just aren't that. Or, or I, I would say yeah. I learned, I almost learned more in that college period than I did in school, just because your focus is, if it's something I've always been a person, if I'm, if I'm really interested, I'll learn loads about yeah. it. So I did a foundation science degree while I was working at Bristol Zoo, and um, and I just never studied so hard than I've ever done before because I loved it so much because it was all about the stuff I wanted to learn about. And it's so, easy to study when you love stuff. Of course um, it is. Matt, could you tell us a little bit about sort of like what you do at Agricultural College? Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, so most most of the um, not all, but a lot most of the um, animal focused courses are based at sort of agricultural colleges, and they mm-hmm. often have sort of sports science sort of 
um, campuses attached them as well. And so the Agricultural College um, was um, Lackham in uh, Wiltshire, and the it's an animal management, you know. Uh, uh, Diploma, so it has everything from has some exotic stuff. So it's got your reptiles, your amphibians, you know, all those sorts of bits and vertebrates. Yeah. It has everything from dog, you know, dog care, handling, training, cat, cat care. Right. We did, you know, dog grooming to farm stuff as well. So we were doing small holding sort of, you know, they obviously have the full on farm courses, yeah. um, agricultural courses there, and they had a big, you know, really big sort of agricultural. Um, sort of what's it like vehicle maintenance kind of um side of things so they yeah. but we it was mainly focused on on that so it's the animal management side so as the agricultural college that's a smaller set department of it you know there's also the sort of you know game courses and everything countryside yeah. management stuff in them but yeah um, but would you sort management. of like pick just pick a course that's tailored more to you then so you don't do a range of things uh you know and cover everything do you actually is the individual courses that that fit your criteria as such it's not as the the i would say the animal management courses are fairly broad from a from a you know yeah. a hobby pet kind of thing or if you wanted to go into you know kennels catteries uh pet shops um any of those sort of or train animal training stuff then that's that's fairly tailored to that the the they have a range of courses, so all the, the, the countryside management are different, but the animal management is focused on that specific sort of animal management for people, you know, like myself, who have gone into zoos or you want to go into any sort of, you know, it's, it's a good stepping stone if people want to go into, say, veterinary or yeah. vet nursing who don't have, uh, you know, who aren't going straight to university. Mm -hmm. So some people use that as a stepping stone as well. So. Definitely. And um, unfortunately, Mike's not happy with that answer because what he was after, <laughs> and I know how he works, is agricultural and he was basically then trying to ship me off to go do some bullshit diploma in fucking allotment years or something like that it's what, it's what, it's what, mike, it's what mike does you mean agriculture that's like farming shit that is horses has got an allotment we'll ship him off you, you can grow cauliflower mate so apparently you should piss your diploma in, well, well, in so, so, rumor has it i've already got one but um all right. Yeah, but, um, it's, it's, it's mad, isn't it? Really, where the the, the lengths I'm willing to go to get more attention. <laughs> okay, so I need to ask you a question, and this is going to sure. be offensive. The way I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it in an offensive manner, but it's probably the norm. Um, but you, you're a bit of a, a zoo whore. You've been around a bit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I'll take that and uh, and and fully accept it. Um, now, that's that, the first is... time anyone's probably called me a zoo whore. I've probably called myself one in, in the past. Um, well, you know, I I'd troubles. own it, mate. Yeah. I'd per personally, I'd own it. We can make you a t-shirt. It's twenty pound. Do you want it? <laughs> I think, um, uh, yeah. Look, I have I have moved around absolutely. Of um, and I think that's partly it's just my own ambition to to move on, move up, and also. Um, and, you know, like I said, zoo jobs generally are fairly hard to come by. There's not a lot of them. There's high demand. And yeah. even when it comes to progressing in zoos, um, you know, those higher up jobs um, are also that not that easy. So, you know, if you stay in one place, you can spend, uh, you know, a, a probably a longer period maybe moving up than you would if you were to move around a bit. And I've yeah. always been open to moving i've always wanted to get gain more experience and zoos often hold the same species for quite a long time but you have to dedicate um the care and the, and the enclosures and everything to those species so by moving and um 
around, I've managed to work with quite a lot of different species over, over yeah. my, my uh, working life. I suppose for actually working in different zoos and seeing how different zoos have different protocols and different ways of dressing things, it yeah. probably also makes you a better zookeeper because you can kind of take a little bit from everything and then put 100%. it all together. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So it, it makes perfect sense, really, because it's not a... Animals isn't a one-size-fit-all kind of method, is definitely it? Not. Yeah, um, definitely but not. But, yeah, it does make sense, you know, what Matt was saying, you know, jobs are hard to come by and that side of things. So if you want to move up the ranks, the, the next job for you to move up to, that guy might be there for the next 40 years and, and you're not going to go anywhere. But if that position come available in the zoo, you know, 20 mile away, then then I can understand why you would then go, right, that's about the next move for me. So it makes sense for you to move to that zoo and, and take that position. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. But I've probably been a bit more travelled than that. I ended up moving all the, all the, all around the certainly the southwest and now um, the sort of east. So I've um, I've moved a bit further. But I, yeah, I think absolutely people. I would always support keepers as well if they um, you know if they if they think you know what I want to move, I want to leave the zoo, I want to go somewhere else. I fully support it because I think mm-hmm. it, it does make people you know I wouldn't say a more rounded person than the keepers that stay in one place because you know. Keepers I've worked with are fantastic, and if they've if they've all been even in the same place, then often they work with different species within the zoo. Or dedicating their time to those species they work with means they understand them and know them really, really well. Yeah. And that you need people like that in zoos. So, because um, you're on the flip side now, Matt, where you've got people sort of like that they want to progress who work for you, who will probably then you know be saying, look, there's a position open open for me, uh, and I'm going to go for it in in a in another zoo. Yeah, and if anyone, you know, any of the keepers that have come to me over the years and sort of said, look, I'm thinking of moving, I'm, look, I'll support them and give them, you know, references they need to make sure they do that because that is, that, you know, it will, it will only help people. Um, yeah. But it's, a, you know, it's a big upheaval. I've, I've um, in my zoo whoring days, as you say, Dan, <laughs> I've, um, I've moved around and I've been, you know, I've had to, you know, shift my life four times now. Um, so, but, you know, it's, and I'm, I'm, definitely at a point where you know, i've just got a young young lad he's a couple of years old now so i'm, I'm staying put for a while and um it's yeah. uh but it's definitely helped me i can, can't say other than that and okay. probably to get to the position i am at the age i'm as well a lot of the people are probably a bit older than me that have got into these sorts of positions and that that diversity and having worked with my position at the moment i can one day i can be you know, working with the bird team and what they're doing, or working with the ectotherms team, and or working with the elephant team, or the predators team, and all you know. So it's so diverse. But because I've worked in, I've worked with big cats, I've worked with birds, I've worked with reptiles, I've worked with you know, um, all these different types of animals. I'm, I would never say I'm an expert in in any of them, but I've got a really good understanding of them all. So it really helps. That's yeah, good. I mean, okay. it sounds phenomenal. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Go on, Huss. Right, so let's let's get this moving. Let's get the juicy gossip. Um, you're currently work, working at Whipsnade Zoo. Yeah. Um, so where about is that in the country? For those who don't know. So Whipsnade Zoo is on the east side of the Chilterns Hills, which is in Bedfordshire. So it's um. It's the biggest zoo in the UK. It's 600 acres, so it's a huge site. 600 acres, God, yeah. that is big, yeah. It's almost huge as big site. as my allotment, you know. <laughs> almost. But no, um, so, so do you want to tell us a bit about um, what it's like working there? Um, yeah. 
Actually, no, sod, sod that. Let, let's get the current stuff out of the way first and we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty. So, obviously, at the moment, there's this whole thing called COVID-19. You, you know what that is, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing Think it's so. had an absolutely detrimental impact to your work. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about what you've been going through and possibly the support you've had or how you've had to overcome things? Yeah, I mean, obviously... For zoos in general, it's been a really tough time and there's definitely a, you know, we need to support them as much as possible through this because zoos make, you know, huge amount, if not in some, it's 100% of their money um, or close to that um, comes from people coming to the zoo and visiting. So lockdown comes, bang, no one's visiting for months on end, which means that there's no income coming in. So, but it's not like we're a shop that we can kind of go, you know, we'll close our doors, put people on furlough, you know, apart from maybe the rent for the shop, everything, the outgoings are not there. You know, it costs millions of pounds to keep, you know, ZSL, um, Zoological Society London, which is which has London Zoo and Whipsnade Zoo, um, it costs millions to keep them running every month. So then yeah. there's not that money coming in. So what it means is that we're just, you know, we're just hemorrhaging money all the time, as lots of other businesses have been. So let's, let's just look at um, a typical example. I don't know if you'd have this exact figure. But how much does it cost to keep one lion for a week? Oh, I don't have that figure. I don't have that an, figure with an, me. an approximate, would you, would you know, I guess? Well, I mean, yeah, let's let's break things down then. So you've got to pay a keeper to look after it, for starters. Two keepers. Two, Two keepers, keepers, okay, yeah, yeah of course, yeah, because yeah. it's a dangerous animal. So yeah. um, that's part of four or five hundred quid there. Yeah, and then oh, you've yeah. got the, the, the enclosure, so yep. um, the work to the enclosure. You also got to have somebody there who can, if anything went wrong, could actually. So, like a maintenance man or something. The maintenance man doesn't carry the rifle. It doesn't work no. like that. But, 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 but again, yeah. But you'll need somebody. There's somebody there with with, with the with the gun, or, or the, the, the there'll be. Some, and I'm you know putting here, Matt. If I'm if I'm wrong, um, there's there's the food which they I should imagine get through. Um, a, a quite a lot of food, and as it's meat, it's not the cheapest of food. Yeah, no, I think all these things combined make it run. It's, it, it's. We could put a sum to right keepers' food and um, and the, and the enclosure, but everything we've got in-house vet team that, that look after them yeah, as well. Yeah, we've got the maintenance team, then we've got the you know people that it's just down to the transport people, the stores people, which all all of that costs. Um, and like you so, say, you can't just furlough those people because. They could be needed at any any given time. Yeah, I mean, we we all worked throughout the lockdown. We had to. Um, I mean, not a lot of people were obviously people that weren't directly managing the animals in the day to day have to be on site, stayed home. It's, you know, everyone had to. We, we we made sure that happened. But there's still a huge amount of people that need to be there. The animals still need looking after. We still need the stores coming in. We still need the vets on site to help us out. And you know, so lots yeah. of people had to stay and had to work throughout. So you know, we're classed as. Um, as essential workers to make sure that that was still running. So, and we had to work throughout. And I had the, the, the joy of uh, of our nursery shutting. So I had to sort of partly work from home and work at the zoo at the same time when I was trying to do childcare. So it was an interesting time. But yeah, we had yeah. to, everyone had to just, just knuckle down and obviously ensure that then everything was in place from this, you know, social distancing. And it's on a, on a, 600 acre site where we have a lot of vehicles driving around to ensure that we can get around the site and get the animals you know when we're norm we're used to two people in a truck driving around can't do that um you know 
tea breaks together can't do that inside because of the issues the risks there um and so yeah there was there's was lots of challenges we had to had to overcome but um we all, we all got through it and um, a few people got, you know, a few people contracted, got sick and then had to isolate. But we were, we, I think I would say Whipsnay was, was pretty lucky. We were in a little bit of a bubble because we're in the middle of the countryside and yeah. um, everyone's spread out. So, um, we yeah, we got through it, but it was it was tough. And then we have to, you know, it's now a recovery stage, really, for certainly for, for all zoos, really, just making sure that we have, we get some funding um and people come back to visit i would well, say that i would just impress i would that, say really. i've not looked at the ticket sales for, for your zoo mm. but the local zoos that are owned by me and mike um yeah i can't get in like the, the, every time i go online sold out um, yeah so i don't know whether it's because a couple of reasons that'll be hoss obviously uh limited capacity yeah and, yep. and obviously because people have been locked down people want to get the kids out and doing things differently so there be yep. yeah yeah no, absolutely you're 100% right there um plus there's you know a lot of things aren't running still so you know whether people go to the cinema or go you know go out I know people are going out a bit more in the nights and stuff but they, they want other things to do and the safest, you know, some of the safest places are places like us and like Kazoo's near you. I know, I know a few people that, that work at, are you, you guys in the West Midlands? Is that where you guys yeah, are? That's me, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So, you know, and I know people there at that zoo and since we've opened, we are, we're doing it, you know, we've been doing okay, but it's going to take a long time to build up that money we lost. So yeah, to just to keep going. But, you know, the, the more that can continue and people can come visit and these are these nice sort of open spaces and feel, feel safe to come and visit, the better. Um, but yeah, capacity, we've had to limit our capacity to ensure that, um, you know, on a good day, we might get, um, on a really good day, we might go, sort of like, you know, 10,000 10, people and that's like one of our best days. Wow. And we probably, through the summer, could have sold that and actually had that many, but there's no way we could do it to make sure we're, we're COVID secure, so we have yeah. to limit it, and we have to. We sort of started by, you know, allowing a couple of thousand in, building up the numbers gradually, just to make sure, keeping an eye on it, making sure that we can, we can then open safely and, and yeah. have a cap on numbers. And that's why you might not get into the zoos locally because they'll have a cap, and there'll be people booking well in advance as well. But, but, so. but the pro the problem is, Matt, is um, I'm Dan from Reptile and Shell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pull that one old chestnut it, out, it, mate. It, it, don't, no chance. it doesn't work. No, they'll put you at the back of the queue every it's, time. No, no, it's just congratulations, uh, yeah. don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you been involved in doing all the risk assessments as well, Matt? Yeah, that's that's part of my part of my role is making sure that everyone's got their their health and safety documentation in place. And great, yeah. you know, I imagine for such no, a big no, deal, it's enormous. Si but silly question here, mate. Right, so. Obviously, you've got a load of different animals. How, how do you make the monkeys COVID compliant? Because I can't see them wanting to wear the masks. <laughs> we can't. We can't make them comply, unfortunately. Um, <sighs> with, with all the best training in the world, um, but we have to be really careful with us because a lot of those, you know, non, you know, all the non-human primates can contract it. Well, yeah, because um, like, you've already got like a worry about zoonoses in the first place. Yeah. So yeah. are there? You know, what what's the potential, the risking factor of 
animals actually catching it or it hybridizing or you know and it affecting it's, them it's yeah i mean you know they're still it's come from animals in the first place so you know there's no there's actually no reason why that isn't isn't a possibility uh, a lot of uh we've been doing some research and actually testing animals making sure you know testing their feces and stuff making sure that they're all clean they haven't got anything um haven't mm-hmm. contracted anything so that's definitely uh, something everyone's concerned of and we've been we've been socially distancing from the animals as well whereas normally we would do training and get closer to them we're purposely not doing that and retracting retracting in case we were to give it to them that's that's more of the worry obviously they're not unless we give it to them they're not going to give it back to us but if we we're making sure we wear masks gloves you know doing all the distancing just to keep them secure horribly wrong yeah so here's what i'm quite interested in and I suppose from a behaviour perspective, I'm guessing I'm on the right lo- the right lines with this. So you've got a zoo, and all these animals are used to the hustle and bustle, the noise, um, you know, and all these people, put, you know, flashing cameras and shouting, "Oh, monkey, lion, river, and all that." Yeah. And all of a sudden, it just goes dead. So, do you think there was a um, a psychological effect or like a, men- a mental effect on the on the animals themselves from having that change of atmosphere? Don't know. It's something we've definitely been trying to look into when we were closed. You know, we were, you know, making sure that we, the keepers, are vigilant on that as well and seeing. Um, we obviously slowly brought the visitors back, which meant that there wasn't a sudden influx of thousands of people. And with still, you know, our vehicles driving around and keepers walking around, it wasn't a complete silence. I mean, you, you know, there's we were only shut one day a year, and even that day on Christmas Day, well, the keepers are still in. So mm-hmm. we. Um, that's a kind of a quiet day. And then there's obviously the evenings in the summer that they don't have public in. So there's that kind of, that period when public are in um, and it gets busy, of course, then then there would have been, a, I'm sure they just, you know, there was nothing visual or nothing that we saw that would be certainly alarming or worrying to us, which is really good because that, you know, that is the biggest worry that you shut for, for months on end. And then you bring, you know, the, the animals are affected by that. But luckily I think, Having you know animals that are you know for for decades born in captivity used to used to things changing or things happening yeah. they, they were all pretty robust to it so yeah because there was a zoo I was reading something the other day about the African grey parrot swearing so during the lockdown <laughs> sure, they yeah. apparently one of them used to swear um, yeah. every now and again and during the lockdown that one has been busy and he's been teaching all the other parrots to swear <laughs> obviously this was done by this was done by a zoom meeting the, the parrots totally socially distanced they kept away from each other <laughs> and they've now had to take all of those parrots off site and because they keep telling uh, the, 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 the the punters to fuck off basically that's something i've never thought about before Matt, but I suppose yeah. if um, and and I should imagine a lot of the public will try and get some some of the public will try and get a parrot to swear. But like you say, if it does become a habit, then <laughs> you can't have no young kids around a swearing parrot. You can't, no. And I, I fully uh I feel for that zoo you've done that. Probably put a lot of effort into getting those animals and looking after them and then have to move them because they you know, and then probably have to find them maybe another home as well from another zoo that yeah, um, once once a parrot's learnt something, it's in there, man. It comes out yeah. again at another point. Someone someone spent a lot of time and effort making that parrot repeat that. I would say that. Then they, they can pick things up really quickly, but sometimes it can take a while of repeating stuff for them to really pick it up. And I think, so someone put probably a fair bit of effort into into those, yeah. those parrots. So I reckon they'd find a small dictaphone in the corner of the enclosure that they haven't <laughs> found yet. Uh-huh. But um, I've got a question. 
Sure. Um, You've mentioned you've been lucky enough to work with so many different animals across so many mm. different zoos, Matt. And I know you've obviously had a passion for reptiles from from a youngster, but um, working with big cats, birds of prey, things yeah. like that. What, what if you could sort of like if you if somebody said right, you've just got to go into this department now, um, what would that be and why? It would be the reptile department. Would it? Yeah, I think. Um, that's that's what got me into zoos you know, my, my hobby my, my passion for reptiles and um and that's that's why i became a zookeeper because i after doing that work experience the one thing i realized i kind of thought well look, hold on a minute i'm not sure exactly what i want to do but i could be if i can get a zookeeping job i can pay get paid for doing my hobby pretty much um, yeah. but in a professional sense and and it's it's the one it's definitely the one because i i worked on the reptile department at Cotswold wildlife park started there what 2002 i think it was and was there for about two two and a half years and then i moved to another section and since then i've not worked on another reptile department i've only ever kept them privately um and yeah it's definitely something i i miss and i've, I've having spent what you know another sort of 16 odd years working with other things it's definitely and it was there's one point when i thought about going back into it and um went for a couple of jobs and it wasn't wasn't to be and i never let that kind of put me down i just thought you know what I can I can still keep them at home. I can still do a lot with them at home. But yeah, um, I, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Reptiles would be the one I would like to go back to if, if that ever came round. I think especially um, in a zoo as well. You know, from a conservation point of view, you could probably get to work with some of the rarer species. Um, I know Ad Adrad uh, does, and he's quite successful with with some of his breeding programs. It's, yeah. it's a weird one with reptiles though in zoos, isn't it? Because a lot of the time what people keep as a hobbyist are a lot more um this has been really speciesists now and saying like other stuff's better than others but people tend to have more elaborate collections at home than than they do in zoos you, you tend to see a lot of the same reptiles amongst collections in in the same you know in a set of zoos um, around yeah. the country um, I, uh, I can't argue with that. I think that's it, true. It, yeah. It's a weird one. So Whipsnade doesn't have the largest of reptile collections, but what are you working with there at the moment? Uh, we don't. We had we had for a long time. We had a discovery centre where they had quite a few different reptiles, and we sort of closed that down. Decided that wasn't you know we wanted to improve our facilities in that in this area. So a, number, a couple of years ago, we sort of we shut that down, and we've they built a butterfly house um, in 2015. And which is, is stunning. If you come back, it's one of the best butterflies in the country. Oh, I'm biased, obviously, because my zoo. <laughs> um, but it really is good. And we've got a couple of um, osteolemas, the dwarf crocs, in there, um, right. and and they they display really nice in a sort of open top uh, enclosure, a nice big pool. And we spend a lot of time thinking not just how does it look, you know, it's a croc okay in that with uh, with land space and water, but we go to town on how the water looks as well. So it's fully planted with with, with hundreds and thousands of fish in there as well. So we like to go to town on that. Um, and then we built, opened last year, um, an aquarium, um, which is London Zoo Aquarium closed down. That's a, It was actually one of the places where the sort of term aquarium was, was founded. So it's a long history, but um, they, they needed to close that. So we took on all the freshwater fish that London Zoo had and we opened the aquarium last year and we went with that same ethos of we wanted to display habitats rather than just 
you know, aquariums. So there was a number yeah. of you know, full height, you know, completely flooded, immersed aquariums like you, you'd see in a normal aquarium. But a lot of them are split level terrarium types rather than aquariums. So we've got the first exhibit is a is a Vietnam stream with um, with Shinosaurus in it. Yeah. Um, which has got it's a lovely big exhibit. Um, we've only got one in there at the moment. We've got a few more coming from another zoo, um, and that's got some some really cool sort of stream fish, um, like gobies and um, sort of species of plex and stuff. And there's um, and that's just a really nice fit level. And he he absolutely the the shinosaurus in there loves it. He spends lots of time hiding in the water and then hopping out and sleeping on the edge of the branches like you'd expect to see them in the mm -hmm. wild. Um, We've got a we've got like an African puddle exhibit, which is um, uh, which we're going to have. Um, we've got some really really rare killifish in those, um, which are an, an annual fish. They die every year. They lay oh, their right. eggs in the mud, um, and then the dry season comes, and then when the wet season comes again, the eggs hatch and they they survive yeah. again. So wow. you have to breed them like that as well, which is a really cool cool uh, yeah. feature that those guys have. Um, beautiful, beautiful, really nicely coloured fish. Um, and in there, we've got some Lygodactylus Williams eye, which are going to go on, on top of those. So that'd be a nice exhibit. Um, they're still in our quarantine at the moment due to come on show soon. Um, we've got a, a, an Australian theme tank or Papua New Guinea sort of Australasian, I should say, theme tank with um, which we've got a, a chondro due to go in there soon as well. That's just finishing its quarantine. Um, I really like the idea of that having your sort of like water section with your fish and you, and you, you know with the the reptiles that would live above them i okay, think that's so the, really the really nice the chondro setup itself so what's in yeah. the bottom of that so the bottom of that is again it's an aquarium type it's got um it's about um it's got some and I, I, you know what fish are one of the species i am you know i am definitely still learning and i'm not as up with my fish we've got some amazingly skilled and experienced fish people at Whipsnade, but I'm still learning. Um, so we've got They're actually not tail. fish keepers, Matt. They're actually called water keepers because it's keeping the water, <laughs> isn't it? Not the fish. Yeah. That's what they say. Spend most of your time doing that, you do. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my background came from tropical fish. My, my dad was uh, just absolutely obsessed. Um, right, so cool, yeah. before I got into reptiles, I kept um, various different South American cichlids. Um, oh, wow, piece of breeding. So I'm kind of sitting here hoping you'll say stuff for me. I'll be like, oh, I remember them, I remember them. <laughs> um, what fish have we got in there? We've got fork-tailed rainbow fish, um, Papua New Guinea species. So it's got, um, I can, I'll have to try and send you some photos of them, but it's, um, yeah. it's, that's one of my, it is one of my favourite tanks, I have to say. Um, at the moment, we've got a golden orb weaving spider above it while the, while the snake's in quarantine. Um, and it is, um, I actually used to keep, when I had chondros back in, I think it was about 2003, I got my first pair. Um, and, you know, the way I keep my reptiles is a kind of a zoo mentality, like really big enclosures. I don't, my reptile room isn't very big, but um, I could probably keep three times the amount of reptiles in it if I was to keep them in small yeah. lives. But yeah. I've got nice big exhibits. And um, they, when I kept my chondros, I had them in the term back then was sort of aqua vivarium rather than terrarium. Um, and I used to keep fish at home in the chondros and they would spend time in the water quite happily sitting there. And the first time that happened, I was absolutely bricked in and thought, what, what's going on? <laughs> um, sit there for a few hours, come out on the perch, you know, quite happy. And I, they, they absolutely flourished right. in an exhibit See, like I'm, that. I'm just a bit nervous about... <sighs> 
Condros, the old school thing was our oh, high humidity and this, that, and the other. Now yeah, there's just yeah. new new wave of people saying, well, actually they don't need as much humidity to be thinking. In fact, they do better when they are kept kind of like room temperature and occasionally the humidity. Yeah, blast them. Yeah, and to give it a I'm spike. I'm just thinking you've got this, you know, load of water underneath and. Is it going to work? How is it going to? Is the community ventilation? Obviously, you give thought all this out and, and imagine. But, so. but you only, but it's only if you sort of like put a heating element to the water that you'll get humidity. What if you if you don't? Then, uh, well, I know, mean, there is. I mean, most of the, so our, our exhibits are all fully ventilated in the top. Some of them have got fans running on them as well to help push air through. Yeah. We've got a, a really big Madagascan themed exhibit with. Um, um, panther chameleons in it and that has you know it's, it's, it's for, for the moment one panther chameleon but we're, we're going to get some females very soon it's um what is it it's about four and a half meters long um right and the, the, the sort of space for the chameleon is about about that long it's about two two meters tall by about two three meters wide so it's a huge space and that's water underneath as well that's a full full water tank um and he absolutely flourishes in it i think you know there's definitely probably a slightly different mentality between the, the sort of zookeeper side and the hobbyist side. And we have to be very careful about, you know, making sure that when we put these animals in there, they're going to flourish and they're going to do well. Yeah. We wouldn't yeah. do it if that wasn't the case. The humidity in that terrarium um, with the, with the, the, the contros, um, you know, probably be slightly higher than, um, than people might keep in the, in the hobby. We have a bit of a, you know, we, we would only ever do the best of the animals. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But we will try and keep things. No, go on. I was going to say the thing is because if the if the enclosure is so big, it's not in a small area, so that that animal can actually move around and find somewhere where it will actually find the where the humidity suits that animal at that time. Yeah, there, there's lots of diff- there'll be little microclimates in that exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got full spectrum UV light on there, um, you know. So there, there's going to be, I mean. You know, even most of the in fact, we actually had in our old discovery centre, they had exactly the same sort of setup for their chondro, and that lived in there for for ages. And that was a, a I think a big male um, back then locality. It wouldn't have a locality with it. Looked probably more like a, an arrow, um, but it it lived quite happily in that. And it had a, I mean, the, the volume of the water in that tank was about a meter deep. Um, whereas the tank we're putting in is only about sort of 10, 12 inches. Yeah. Um, it will always be whenever you put an animal in a new exhibit, you want to you know make sure that it's, it's going to take a bit of time to settle in. Um, but there's there's you know I've got no doubt that will do that will do well in there. Um, and I think there's you know I'm I'm not as into the sun of you know the the I like to keep a varied collection of snakes personally. Um, I don't go full on into any of the species as much. I, I say that I did with Candoy for, for about four or five years. Um, but I also, you know, I, like I said, I like to try and keep things as natural as I can. And I think air movement's important. And, you know, they, a lot of these animals will be subjected to quite varying temperatures and varying humidity. The nature is not 82 degrees all, all day long. Yeah. Um, it's just not. Um, but you need to, you can't, like you say, you can't really replicate that in a small enclosure. So that, that that Australian theme tank is around it's about a meter and a half by by a meter and a half. It's probably about a meter and a half cubed, so about four foot. No, sorry, it's probably about six foot long, about a meter meter and a half tall, and a meter and a half deep. So it's a big exhibit, yeah. and, um, much bigger than most people will keep these things in. So yeah, no, that's really good. Should we talk about your 
but sorry, Hoss, I'm jumping in again. No, Did no, you no, carry on, carry on. I, I was going to say, you know, you've mentioned a few times, and we haven't really spoke about this in sort of like your personal collection. Obviously, we know that sure. you, when you was younger, you know, you took on your brother's um, Royal Python, and then it's obviously progressed. It, whilst you've been um, working in zoos and that, you've obviously um, still kept reptiles um, yeah. at home. Should we talk a little bit about that, Matt? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you know, first snakes were were the sort of royal, and then I got you know, check a garter snakes. Got got a, a pair of those which bred. They were the first ones I ever bred. Um, my sort of early teens. When I was, I was quite lucky, I think, because the people I worked with in zoos had, you know, were, were quite well into the hobby, and I was, you know, able to get hold of some some, some cool animals, Europlatus, that people weren't working with, and. The, even even down to crested geckos that in two thousand early two thousands hardly anyone had, and I was able to keep them. That now they're obviously quite a common pet. But um, and I kind of been working in the zoo, especially working in the reptiles. You know, the reptile department. Uh, my my sort of private collection has always been pretty varied. I've had things from you know the chondros, you know, rat snakes when I was growing up, you know, Everglades were another one I bred. Um, to boa constrictors and this was you know this is all kind of my starting stuff and then when i when i was working at cots wildlife park i um was able to keep you know different day geckos the chondros water dragons and a few other things like that um viper geckos were quite cool back then um and it right. was kind of varied and it was only i suppose i don't know maybe about 2000 sort of late 2000 2007 something like that that um, when I moved, I moved down to Bristol Zoo from from Quartz Wildlife Park and was working with the bird department there. And I thought, you know what, I've, I've kept so many different things over the years and not focused. And because I've been moving about a bit, I haven't been able to focus. So I thought I'll, I'll focus on um, a species of, of boy that I really enjoy and, and like working with. And I thought species that not too many people are keeping. And that was that was the Solomon Island boas, so the Candoia yeah. genus. Um, and I had, um, I started off with Paul Sonai, which is the, the one a lot of people look after. Um, I was, most people look after those in groups and, and they think need multiple males to breed. I had a pair and I bred them regularly in a pair, no problem. Could have just been compatibility, um, but they bred really well with me. And I, I'm, I like a challenge. Um, and I think I've always had smaller collections, but some of the ones are a bit more tricky to look after and take a bit of a challenge and getting, you know, First litter was about 22, second litter was 30-something neonate candoi pulsoni that are an mm -hmm. absolute nightmare to feed. Mm -hmm. um, and getting them to feed was, was, and I would get, I think I I didn't actually lose any candoi at all um, from, the, from the litters I had. Um, so I would, would just persevere and get them all feeding. And yeah, they, so they were my focus for probably four or five years. Yeah, if you got any tips or tricks on people who are struggling, because I know there's, we've had people in the past ask about Candoya um, yeah. through the Bolsonaro and how, how to get them feeding, because they're just so bloody small. They are, um, they are. So what, yeah. is there anything that you could share that could possibly help people? Yeah, I mean... That the classic getting them to strike. Um, so the Paul Sonai were always tend to be fairly aggressive. In a number of the, the 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 neonates were really aggressive, and then a number of them would do the typical escape, pretend they're a stick and just jump off. They're the ones that are a bit more of a nightmare, <laughs> yeah, and they would just need to go rigid. They're a bit stupid, just... aren't they? Because like sticks are rigid, but they don't jump. <laughs> so they jump in, and they're a rigid stick. So when they land, they just stay there. Um, I think the one thing that people when they 
the candoid genus, they, they're really, really slow metabolism. They don't need a lot of food. They, um, they, they, they really do, um, they grow very slowly. And um, so when it comes to the, the neonates, I mean, I had neonates that wouldn't feed for maybe two to three months before I got them going. Absolutely, you know, no problem at all. If I needed or was at all concerned, and that was the, the key, I think, is those, you know, you get these little, and they're tiny little snakes, and you think, God, they're minute like shoelaces, and they're not going to survive too long if they don't feed. They, they do really well, and they do keep going. The trick I used for those um, was actually getting guppies and um, using guppies as a feeder food because, mm -hmm. and that was not as a put it in a in a bar and it would eat it. That was a, you know, actually using it as a. Um, a if you're going to force feed something that's that small, you're going to damage it if you try and use anything big. And and a little guppy is like a little perfect package of nutrients and yeah. it also goes down really quickly so i think i only had a couple that weren't taking pinkies and those i used guppies for and was, was it just worked a treat um, uh -huh. never stressed them out was really quick really efficient um so that was the trick i used for those now like i said the pulsoni were um weren't too hard really when i had some success in 2009 with candoia bibra and Australis, which i'm pretty sure i really know too many people that have actually bred the species and i'm not sure if anyone in the uk has done it since and they're, not the, before. they're the tree bow yeah the tree bows solemn island tree bows yeah um i managed to get a, a group from a guy in the netherlands in, in 2008 um who had them for about five years hadn't managed to reproduce them um Got in contact with him. You were willing to sell him to me. Got, I think it was the snake Dan Houghton I picked them up from. Um, had them, and they, and they, I'm still, I still can't pin exactly the the, the detail of how I, you know, I've spoke to numerous people who have them, have been trying for years to breed them, and I can't pin what I did differently to other people. It could just be, you know, the location I was in. I was in at that time living in Clifton and Bristol, which is, uh, and we were in a you know, huge old Victorian house. The altitude was slightly different to maybe most people or the, the way I was feeding them, but I managed to get them to breed and um, I had 21 babies from from that female and the female was massive. She was about six foot um, turns. And then if you, if, you, if you don't know the species too well, I mean, a lot of the candoy will change color dramatically, go from jet black to, you know, to, to beige and to, to sort of almost this female when she was gravid, she turned like a, a greeny, greeny sort of mint color um and over you know if they're in in the middle of the night you'll go in and she's jet black it's really astounding um and i had those babies from from her and she those ones were worse than paul sona by far none of them struck they just they just hadn't they, no no fight no idea <laughs> no idea at all. so when i got those i was going how on earth am i going to get these feeling and it did take a lot of perseverance and just a lot of for those it was you know, to try and get those to bite was a case of almost you know having to assist feed restraining them sort of halfway down the neck and you know just annoying them with the pinky so much until they bite and then most of them would bite hold it for a few seconds even constrict it and obviously the typical thing you you budge an inch and it's going to drop it mm -hmm. um so we i spent i spent uh hours and hours and hours feeding those things but um that that was that was i think one of one of my 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 
achievements. I'm really, really chuffed with doing that. Do you think that's why nobody's tried breeding? <laughs> Not many two people breed them. But, uh, you know, I, I was listening to Eric and Owen uh, the other day and on, on NPR, and I think he was yeah. talking about rhinos and just saying they're just so damn hard. I mean, they're used to sort of like, you know, a lot of carpet pythons that, as a rule, are quite quite good. But he was just saying, you know, you've got to remember, you know, if you start breeding these uh, uh, on a large scale, it's not breeding them, it's feeding them after that's going to yeah. take the time. You know, you just mentioned there, Matt, the hours and hours that you sat there, you know, just trying to get them to, to, to take a strike, you know, tease them a little bit, they need a little bit of stress. Yeah. Um, you know, then then you think, oh, yeah, they've latched onto it and then they drop it and your heart sinks again. And, you know, it's a lot of work and that's just with, you know, just a few. So, yeah, yeah. so I, I love Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Teresa and I've always liked children's pythons, spotted pythons, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to get picnic pythons. And then I thought, right, well, firstly, they're tiny. And if I ever do successfully breed them, it's just like the hell, man. These things sit on a 50 pence piece. Like yeah, they're tiny. It's mouse yeah. tails. Like, yeah. And I just don't think it's something that I've got. I've got no hair. You know what I mean? I've got nothing else to lose. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't be dealing with that kind of stuff. <laughs> that, and that is, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't have the time to be looking after. It's partly why I moved them on, just the time and the, the work I yeah. do. And, the hours and everything that uh, there's no way I could I could look after, and the amount they have, you know, they have so many babies at the same time that, um, you know, I know people have had you know litters of forty odd of these bullsoni, um, and the babies of the the, the the Australis are much bigger. They're probably three times the size of all bullsoni neonate, but um, didn't make them any easier to to get going. Um, but yeah, they they were they they are a challenge. They are a challenge. Um, and I, I would, I, I hope other people breed them. And I know a lot came into the country in the last, um, and the states in the last couple of years. So lots more people have them now. So I think the, 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 the chances of people breeding them will, will, will go up. But yeah, um, definitely. So with your collection currently, what, yeah. what's your like main aims, and what are you really like striving to be working with? Um, like I said, I like a bit of variety. So I've got some Boiga, the Melanota, the big mangroves. They're, they're, I love those. Uh, yeah. I love things that, are, you know, not. <laughs> I don't handle my stuff. I'm not, I, I never really get things out unless I have to get it out to clean it. Um, but otherwise, it's a case of, um, you know, even if it's going to sit in the top of the, the cage um, and I can clean the bottom out thoroughly, I'll do that over getting them out. Um, Melanator are horrendous. They <laughs> are really aggressive. So brilliant if they're stuck there in a corner. Um, as soon as you disturb them, they're at your face. And the male I've got will actually ch try and chase you out of the viv. It's, you touch <laughs> it and it's, it's mouth open coming at you. <laughs> so they're, they're, you know, the bow eagle, really, you know, um, I'm really interested in those. I've got I've got a cyanea in uh, Boca. I cyanea. like them. I need I nearly went for, for cyanea um, not long, well, a, what, a little while ago, actually. They're, they're stunning. I picked up. I was due to get some more in uh, in Houghton, but of course, this year. But I normally go to that every year, and that that didn't that didn't happen. Um, but I've got a, I've got a young male who's up in quarantine at the moment. Um, I've got a group of Ridley or three of the newest Ridley the cave races. They're one of my. You know, they they are one of my at the moment one of my favourites. They're like little velociraptors in the enclosure. There, so they're, they're great fun. Not the fun is to get out when you have to get them out because they're. They, they are pretty aggressive, but they, you know, they'll sit there and they're always hungry. And they, I've got them in again, quite a big enclosure. It's about, well, it's about five foot, four foot, five foot tall by four foot. Um, 
and they are they utilize the whole thing always climbing always active and burn off burn off food like you wouldn't believe um so they're they're bred those last this year so both females had clutches for me this year so um would start with that was pretty cool and i've got um two more pythons as well so they're they're my probably my my one goal i would really love to reproduce i've always loved yeah. Timors, um and managed to get hold of captive bred one from 2016 and um last year last october i picked up a, a captive bred one from 2013 that was really hard to come by that was a taking a bit of speaking to people that had them and managing to find one that had, someone who had a number um was willing to let go and, and wasn't wasn't cheap um but the but it was worth it so i've now got a captive bred pair of those and so fingers crossed something will happen with those i had them together um, I think it was, you know, probably way too early to be to be thinking anything's going to happen. But I had them together. See, see I, um, I don't think you should do it, mate, because it's like car- <laughs> carbon and global warming, that kind of stuff, and they fucking stink, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't deny that they do stink. They do stink. They just—they're um, like they love the mask. They're like really fabulous reticulated pythons that just like to shit everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's this no, is why there's this no is other why way to... to describe it that's it uh, this is why we need to captive breed more because there's still so many of them are captive farmed and they seem yeah. to be really late in the year everyone i speak to is you know they're kind of you know, they're not really mating till sort of march april time sometimes and then laying eggs and sometimes as late as august and um so i i put mine together after the female sort of finished the quarantine just um thinking I'll, I'll see how they get on together just for a period um when i was cycling them and and the male mated a multiple times so some good good starting progress that he's interested in her and that was all good no ovulation so we'll we'll have to see what happens this year coming but you're, you're right they are i think you know you, they're a golden python they're stunning but no, they do yeah. if they're not friendly and i have had captive farm ones in the past had a captive farm female at one point and they're they're not fun to handle. You don't you don't want to get them out. But my captive bred ones are actually they're much more calm. I had the had the female out the other day when I was cleaning hair, and um, and my my page is a couple of pictures of that. And there's um, yeah, there's the she was fine, no problem at all. Um, so I don't want to bite your face off or, or muscle all over you. But yeah, uh, see a yeah. friend a friend mine a friend of mine and Mike. So well, two of two of our friends had a, a pair together, yeah. and they they were captive farmed. And they weren't aggressive. There was no biting involved, but it was just like constant flapping and shitting. <laughs> and it just like and it didn't matter what approach you took. It was just like I'm gonna make you think I'm all right, and the moment you think I'm com- comfortable, <laughs> I'm gonna flap everywhere, shit all down your leg, and it's I'm all right. Oh, like like that if they didn't. Shit everywhere. The flapping I can deal with. If uh-huh. I didn't shit anywhere, I consider keeping them. <laughs> but I'm all. I'm all right. <laughs> Matt, have you um, have you got your DWA as well, or or is that? No, no. Yeah. You know, I've I've never I've never held, and I've looked after quite a lot of venomous in the past, but I've all, I've never held them myself personally. But I've, yeah, I've had them in in other so. Some good friends of mine had reptile shops. I'm in Oxford. Um, I worked with a lot of them in in zoos when I certainly when I was in, in the reptile house at, at Cotswolds. And I've had some that have been mine, but looked after by 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 my friends yes. in the reptile shop. So yeah, um, I would say that I can't fully say I've looked after them all the time. You know, my some good friends of mine had really big venomous collections, and there was a 
a shop in Oxford and a friend of mine, Steve, had that was managing that for a, a, quite a long time, but then we'll exotic too. And he was well into his venomous stuff, had, had lots of different species up there. And so I had some sort of, a few animals living with him, whether it's the Atheris, the Ceratopha and the um, Bytus yeah. and Azacornus, the Rhino Vipers. And I was lucky enough to obviously have lots of friends um, that that just loved venomous and that that worked with them not only in zoos but also privately so i got to, got loads of experience i mean i my first chance to to handle venomous was actually in, in a reptile shop in london when i did some work experience there and i still got a photo of it when i was 16 and in, in, in tubing a tubing a rattlesnake and that was wow. I think I was just lucky that I had people that were very experienced around me that um, would be willing to train me up. And that's kind of what you need, to, I think, to, mm-hmm. to get into it. And um, so we, from the age of 18 in that, in that, in, in, in Cotswolds, I was, you know, we were, we had breeding Eurocone rattlesnakes. We had red spitting cobras. Um, what else? Venomous. We had healer monsters. Um, and so we had a few things at like the back, Irish vipers, um, so yeah so and just yeah i managed to manage to look after them. the 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 reptile shot with my friend owned and i would often i was living i, I left zoos for about six months while i was i had a had a moment and i thought you know what i'm not sure what i want to do after six months and what on earth am i doing let's get another zoo job um in that period i was you know spending a lot of time helping out my friend in his shop whenever i could and getting to handle loads of his stuff helping clean everything out so he had multiple different cobra species um cape cobras he had um forest cobras he had taipans he had mambas he had he had so many different species that he he was well into so i was just lucky to get to 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 work with him and help him out and, and handle loads of stuff there as well so brilliant um, definitely right. i mean i do i do wildlife photography and for me i would love to go out and and photograph some some wild venomous, you know, uh, in the, you know, in the jungles or the, the rainforest. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's my, that's my one uh, thing I'm look, in my pocket. Can, I, can I just say, Matt, with your luck lately, you ain't going nowhere. You're banned. <laughs> you're, banned. you're banned. You're <laughs> right, banned. So, so we're, we're getting on to what, uh, one hour, 20 minutes. We need to start wrapping this up. So, no, we right? don't. We don't. There's yeah. something really important we need to talk right, about. Right, so yeah. for, yeah. First, mention first, that. Firstly, <laughs> right, um, I'm no longer Mike's friend because if you're his friend, you either get your little toe ch- chewed off or your nose ripped off. Um, <laughs> so I'm having fuck all to do with him from now on. I'm only doing a po- podcast virtually across um so what's your thing you want to talk about is it just it's just gonna be bullshit mike well something five years ago in august last august something really really special happened with matt and i'm really really jealous and i want to talk about that a little bit sure uh, do you want me to go or do you want yeah to i want i want you to tell us all about it <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for this because he's gonna say it and you're gonna go yeah but my granddad and i'm sake. already getting goosebumps on my arms I'm, i swear you know to god I'm, I'm, I'm going for a shit i can't i no, can't, you I can't you listen dare. to mike talk shit anymore Mate, if you go now i'm gonna never speak to you again and i ain't that lucky um well well, yeah i mean i I got told that that david attenborough was your granddad so um so as soon as you said that i thought well Well, i'm sure i spent a day with him so i'm gonna work out is that why you met him because you wanted to get closer to mike (laughs) that's exactly yeah exactly (laughs) i wanted to find out more um so i spent spent a bit of time with him no I, i was you know Everyone loves David Attenborough, don't they? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's iconic, and in zoos as well. You know, he was he was you know when he started off, um, 
before he was doing what well, while he was doing all the TV programs, he was collecting animals for London Zoo, you know, yeah. years and years and years ago. And yeah, so obviously with ZSO and London Zoo, he's 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 heavily involved in there. But I was spent you know probably five years down in in Devon in the zoo down there in Paynton Zoo and um, working on the mammal department down there. And we had a number of Bornean orangutans, and they had a series um, that he was filming for the Natural Curiosity series. And he did a, a, a. He wanted to get shots of the orangutans as they're eating durian fruits, which I don't know if you've seen a durian fruit, but it's um, it's this really big, almost like the size of a watermelon, but it's absolutely covered in spikes, really hard spikes. Yeah. So most animals can't get into them, but orangutans, being so smart, would quite happily work it out. So they want they got in contact, and, and you know that they wanted to film some shots of the. Yeah, the, the orangutans eating the durian fruits and I mean it was brilliant watching you know David Attenborough aside um, those orangutans watching them pick up durian fruits and actually work out how to get into them without getting yeah. spiked which was hilarious I mean, and was that the no first time, time that the orangutans had seen that fruit? Yeah it's a fruit wow. you can't really get hold of and yeah. it's not something that's imported they got them from some markets in, in, in London to, to try them and to never seen this thing before Went to pick it up, went, oh, no, it's spiky. Worked out, you need to pick it up by the end and then whack it against something or use something to break it open to get into it. Brilliant to watch. Um, but it was for David's David's um, David's series, so he um, he came down and spent the day with us filming for it. So, And I was the the, the lucky chap that managed to... Uh, my boss said, look, do you want to be the one that, that, that looks after him for the day while he's here? Oh, so I said, I'm not mate. really sure, to be honest. I think I might, I might pass that one out. <laughs> Let me Did, check my schedule. Can, can I, can I um, reenact that moment exactly? <laughs> right, right. Would you like to work with David Asper for the day? And you just went, yes! <laughs> I played it cool. I played it cool. Yeah. I went, well, if you're sure, I think I've got other work to do, but um, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but no, brilliant, absolutely brilliant day. And um, he, he was fantastic to work with. Uh, I say work with. I was sort of there while he was doing all his bits to camera and getting all the, getting all the, all the footage they needed to, but just to genuinely the, the, the nicest guy. Um, Everybody but he's says also that. really down to earth. He's just mm-hmm, like yeah. everyone's kind of, you know, I've, it's like your granddad, just kind of, you know, he's. Yeah. I've uh, heard he's, he's a bit of a geezer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say he was a geezer with me when I was there. That didn't come <laughs> out, but um, he was certainly, you know, came in, was just, just down to earth, just chatted as you'd expect, was opening, telling me about his next trips that he was going to out to out to Sumatra and stuff like that. And they were yeah, he was he's just a really nice guy. So wow. um yeah, really 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 it's a, it's definitely a moment you won't forget, I'm sure. Matt, if you haven't listened to the episode we do with Rob Pilly, um right. listen to that. So Rob does uh Spy in the Wild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so he he produces that. Um, absolutely fantastic guy, wealth of knowledge, uh, and he's a friend of the show as well. And he talks about working with David Attenborough. And you know, you say he's down to earth. He told us a story where I think there was in somewhere like the Sahara on this big sand dune. <laughs> yeah. said, and I think they had some young intern working with them also, called David yeah, yeah. as well. So he says, uh, he said, so we're, we're, we're all discussing what we're going to do. He said, and then one of us shouts over to this young David, 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 get the gear on top of the sand dune. Um, he said, they carry on having the meeting and talking. He said, we turn around and there's David Attenborough and he's lugging the gear up the sand <laughs> dune. And they're like, no, no. 
not you, not you, not you. Um, but that's how down to earth he is. He's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll get the gear and, and take it off. And yeah, it's just a story I absolutely love. I think it's, uh, you know, it just shows what he's all about. Right. So, firstly, Mike, well done for not talking shit about him being your granddad. You've done really well. I'm proud of you. <laughs> um, and just before we start heading off the podcast um i've got a rapid rapid five question round for you matt Oof, go on then right okay so favorite fa- favorite piece of food favorite meal oh oh favorite piece of food piece of food or meal one well, meal a meal favorite meal um oh Curry, probably. No, oh, okay. Chinese. Chinese. Oh, Chinese. Okay. If, you, if you could go anywhere in the world to see any animal, where would it be? And what would it be? Um, you know what? I would reenact my years of keeping Kandor, and I've always wanted to go to the Solomon Islands and, and see those out there. I would I would go to those, those uh, the South Pacific. Okay. You've got to take either me or Mike on a date. Who would it be? Um, who's going to pay? Uh, <laughs> you're paying? <laughs> answer that. Um, text me later, yeah? I'll text you later on okay. that. Let me have a seat. Let me have a seat. Okay. <laughs> right, you want to be with me, you lose a toe or a nose or something like that. <laughs> right, before, you know it. Fourth question is, uh, what is the favourite animal you've ever worked with? Favorite animal? Uh, I would say probably giraffe. Um, I was lucky enough to, to to work with a lovely herd of those uh, painted. No, see, I've, I've been licked by a giraffe and I didn't enjoy it. They're weird, <laughs> they weird tongues. Yeah, they have. Yeah. But when you, I was, you know, had a few babies there, help hand rear babies, and handling a young giraffe is oh, like nothing off, else. Get him off, just, the yeah. shark. get him off it's the shelf. Get him off the shelf. My stuff. wife is favorite animal. That is a giraffe. Um, so, yeah. yeah, obviously. Reptiles, by far, is uh, if I, like I said, if I have to work them. But as working with something that's novel and something different, giraffe, you know, you, you, they're stunning. So, okay, yeah, um, a bit my, cuter than a snake. My my <laughs> last question is more of me asking you to do something. So, if sure. there's someone who wants to get into your field of work yeah. or wants to potentially be a zookeeper, we can just work with animals. What's the best piece of advice that you could give them? Um. Stick to it. Work for free for, for about ten years, <laughs> and then you might get a job. Yeah. <laughs> <a better job. laughs> Sorry. I, I would say if if it's zookeeping people want to get into, it's a it's a it's a life more than anything. It's a, when you, when you get into it, you know. And I know people that have got into it and spent a few years in it and went, you know what, it's not quite for me. Um, doing the same thing day in day out. It, you know, it's probably a good 75% of your time is that, that daily cleaning, feeding routine. It's a very routine job. But it, the, the, that 25% of all those things, amazing things that happen is is, is definitely worth it. If you want to get into it, um, yeah, study. As, you know, most – I didn't have a degree when I went into it, but that was, you know, 18 years ago. Most people have a degree now. Go to college or go to university and, and volunteer, I would say that, if – if people or you know you can get your foot in the door and you can you can show that you can do the work because it's that commitment to to that to that daily task that we have to do um and show that you're you're keen and you're enthusiastic and you really want it it's, it's a passion then 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 you you've probably got a slightly higher advantage than some people that are just coming off the street that yeah. that have just been to university and not 
practical experience will always help. That's what I'd say. Because you yeah, can get practical experience. That, yeah. As a manager yeah. and you was interviewing two people, you're, you know, and they've both got the same degree. But if one of them has done some voluntary work at, at a zoo or or a similar type of place, you're going to probably go, do you know what? They've actually experienced it and they're coming back and, 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 and going for a job. Then that's probably the person yeah. that you would pick. It's a job that so many people just, I'd love to be a zookeeper. And it is, I've... if you're working on the top of the Chilterns and it's minus five and you've got a, clean out the rhino and okay so my sound amazing with the rhinos you've got to clean out the water trough outside that's you know frozen solid and your hands are freezing off and you're dealing with yeah it's one of those jobs that you really yeah. have to toughen up and I've, just get I've got to admit i've got personal experience with this as well so i volunteered at a zoo for a couple of months yeah. I, I give them one day a week and one of my days off and as much as I love being part of the team, and it was absolutely fantastic getting to work with the animals, and even talking to the public as well, it's not for me. For me, there's too much red tape. And, and coming from a hobbyist perspective, um, it's just something as simple as like, oh, you can't go in that enclosure because you're a volunteer, but it's a boa constrictor. And yeah. it, it, was just, it was very difficult for me to get my hand, hands around, well, I, can't, I can do this at home. I keep X, Y, and Z. But I can't do this in a zoo setting. Yeah, it's insurance. It, is that one hundred percent? And it's all there, and it's there for a very good reason. Yeah. Um, but it was really frustrating, and for someone with my kind of mindset, um, it, it's not for me. It's too much red tape. And I've been told what to do. Do you? Well, it's not even that. It's like if you want to change, <laughs> if you want to change, if you want to change your light bulb, say for instance, and it's wired in, um, I can just do that at home, and that for that the effect it would have for the welfare of the animal to get it done there and then is better but if you're in a zoo setting you have to get someone correct to do that you have to get the yeah. electrician yeah in. i mean it's a you know we're, we're we are we're that, obviously it's mostly our charities but also business and we have to conform to all of those health and safety 100%. aspects so yeah we can't just go and do some electrical work ourselves like we can when we're, we're wiring all our own vivs in at home or anything like that it just yeah. doesn't work like that we have a full maintenance team facilities team that with electricians on site to do that so yeah Definitely. and if, if somebody did something and did something wrong and one of the public got hurt because of it yeah. then you're in the shit so we we totally understand why they have them 100 but i think yeah. for for someone who's mindsetted like me, i just found it really frustrating yeah right anyways that is about it for this week matt it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show yeah um, pleasure um, speaking i'm to sure you, we'll have a catch up again sometime soon um, yeah definitely so that is about it for this week on Reptile and Chill. If you do want to help support our podcast, then please head on over to our website, which is reptileandchill.com. You can like I've got hoodies and t-shirts, hoodies and t-shirts for sale. You can also check out all, all of our other previous episodes. If you do want to take it that step further, you can get onto our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash reptile and chill. And our social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the handle of reptile and chill. So that is about it for this week. Uh, so Mike, you got one last thing to say to Matt? Um, or no, I've got two things actually. Just Matt, um, if anybody's interested in coming to Whips uh, Snade uh, Zoo, what's the best way to go about it? Is it online? Is it yeah. Ringo? No, everything's online. You'll find that nearly every every zoo attraction is all online now. So go online and and put your tickets in advance, um, and then come along. Yeah, it's definitely worth 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 a visit. Um, it's a stunning stunning place. So come on down. He's, okay. he's, he's not biased. He's telling the truth. Of course truth. I'm not. No. <laughs> right, so, um, Mike, do you, yeah. do you want to do the Arnold Social Lie? 
No, you can. Uh, Matt? Yes. Love you, bye. <laughs> Love you, bye, Jen. Love you, bye. Take, take care, look after yourself. Thanks, you Matt. Been a take pleasure. Care.